This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. I'm starting to have corona dreams. There you go. I'm dreaming you. about Nathan Buckley escaping curfew. I'm dreaming about sitting in TV studios with Matthew Lloyd with a hacking cough and trying to keep away from him. I'm dreaming about being distanced from people. It just started in the last two weeks. Caro, what do we have at the end of Point Nepean? It's called quarantine. All the buildings are still there for the same amount of money. If the government had really super quick pressed the button and got all the tradies down there, we could have actually put everyone there. They would have all fitted. They could have had beautiful walks, lovely sea air. They could have all been contained. There was a lot of politics and division behind the scenes in the AFL at the moment over several Indigenous issues, including Indigenous personnel and the Indigenous Advisory Board. Things are going to happen in the next few months, I reckon, there. People are going to change. Good, good change or bad change? Well, I think there's going to be a restructure, mm. put it that way. Do you actually shut your shop, take a dip of 30% or more in, in your takings, prove that to government and to your landlord, have rent relief and go on JobKeeper? Or do you keep your brand going or your shop going? It's such a hard decision because in many ways the easy thing to do would be to close your business. And I think so many people around Victoria are having these discussions at the moment. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. Welcome everybody to episode 140 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with Corrie Perkin. Hello, Corrie. Lovely to see you again. Hello, Caro. Hello, Miss Jane. Hello, potties. Almost halfway, everyone. We're Victorians. We're nearly there. We're nearly at halfway. And I think when we get to the end of three weeks of stage four, things are going to suddenly look a whole lot better. And let's face it, it is looking better outside because it's nearly spring, Corrie. And I don't think we've had winter. Winter just sort of passed us by with everything else that's been going on this year. It's true. Can you remember one week of just constant rain, cold, misery? Watch this space. It's coming up. Oh, it's just been incredible. I think, I think Miss Jane Bunn on television the other night said we're in for seven days of rain and I don't think we get over 14 degrees, Caro. So, look, you might see light at the end of the tunnel, but I'm having a bit of trouble seeing it that way. Although I'm loving the fact that it's lighter in the evenings. Yes. And, Isn't um, that fantastic? I've been having evening strolls with my husband because let's face it, what else are we going to do um, within 5Ks to one of our beautiful local parks? It is lighter in the air. I've, I've had my days. Last Friday was my day. I just could not see an end. I think it was when, it, I can't remember whether it was Scott Morrison or Daniel Andrews talked about Christmas and if we're lucky, we might be able to be with our family at Christmas or live, be living in stage two and that just really tipped me over. I mean, all year we've just been thinking summer will be different, summer will be fine. And now, you know, we're almost at spring and nothing's really changed. So anyway, here we are talking in episode we 140. Are, we, have, we have a bit of spring uh, discussion later on in the program, Caro, and you are going to tell us about your wonderful book discovery or literary discovery, I should say, later on, which and I'm really you looking have, forward to. And you, you, you have bought in the most beautiful morning tea slash breakfast, which is um, from a new cookbook, and you're going to give us a recipe, which I'm very excited about. Thank you, Chrissy Miller-McKinley, who um, misses Daphne's season. She doesn't have it here in the Wild West. I assume that's Western Australia where, gee, they've been horrible to the AFL. That Mark McGowan, he's just bashed, Don't you, Don't be mean to our WA listeners and oh, folk over there. They, we love our WA we people. We love. And we, and the you know, AFL aren't all that keen on the West <laughs> Australian government. And, you know, the West Australian government have done an unbelievable job, but it's just... If the grand final ends up there, I just think it will be one of the most extraordinary outcomes I have ever seen. And it will be purely for the money and not because of heart. Because seriously, it might be a heartland of footy, but Queensland has taken over there. Anyway, more of that later. Now, Corrie Ananda Le Messure via Facebook. Hi, girls. You continue to be great friends in Stage 4 lockdown. I look forward to the podcast every week. It's like joining in a conversation with friends. Stay safe and well. So that's very kind. Ananda, thank you very much. Corrie, have you got any messages? Gillian May McClellan Watson, from also on Facebook, Caro, said, Love your podcast. It's a ray of sunshine in this sometimes bleak world. But I must say some of your recipes and ingredients are beyond this country girl 
with just one supermarket in town. Not sure where you live, Gillian. Um, don't really know what to say except next time you come to Melbourne or your nearest big regional centre, stock up. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, well, well, um, it... that that is a bit of a problem for, at times. Uh, for example, we had our, as I told you last week, we had our um, Zoom dinner with the family. We all cooked the same recipe. We had a main course entree and a pudding, and we all ate at the same time, which was great on a Saturday night. But we, there was a lot of discussion about the recipes, Carol. We started with fish, and some of the country folk can't really get the same sort of fish that you and I can when we go down to the market. So that is a bit of a problem, I guess. I tell you what, I'm very boring, but what we have been cooking, and I've done it now twice, it is such a great recipe. You did it a few weeks ago, that spicy tuna pasta, the one with the capers and the pasta water, and you finally took my word for it about the pasta water. Thank you very much. That is the best recipe. It is absolutely so foolproof. Easy. It's so cheap, as is the chicken drumstick recipe, which I've passed around. So, um, and, and, I th- and I think next week you have a recipe from our lovely friend, Kel Ireland, who begged us a few months ago, could you please do easier recipes? I gather she has one that she's bringing forward next week, Caro. She's been doing some of our recipes and even her husband apparently is astonished at how good they are. She, I think he is secretly a very good cook. <laughs> she's picked up a... I mean, Poor Kel Island. We've, we've put you in the basket of... Um, Poor Kel Island, <laughs> struggling Island chef, was dragged <laughs> kicking and screaming away from Sydney to have to go and live in Brisbane. She is... She's not only is she now Mrs Brisbane and absolutely loves everything about it, she loved it even before Victoria became the scourge of Australia. She's now in the centre of Australia. Don't be feeling sorry for Kel. She's living the life of a free woman. Now, Corrie, um, oh, one, just a quick observation. For the first time, and talking about dreams in our family is banned. I'm sorry, nothing more boring, but I'm starting to have corona dreams. There you go. I'm dreaming you. about Nathan Buckley escaping curfew. I'm dreaming about sitting in TV studios with Matthew Lloyd with a hacking cough and trying to keep away from him. I'm dreaming about being distanced from people. It just started in the last two weeks. Well, can I tell you about my dream I need to last... get a life. Can I... Well, corona dreams are very famous. I... I had a dream last night. You know how we're expecting two babies within a day of each other? Yes. On the 1st of January and the 2nd of January. Well, both girls are having their scans this week. So there's been a lot of baby chat happening, as you can imagine. Last night I woke up and there were twin girls at the end of my bed. Little girls, like about uh, probably Harriet's age, maybe three or four, but perfectly speaking, saying, Mops, get out of bed. Come on, get out of bed. Go, oh, my God, is that an omen? Well, Who are you, you little people? But that's not a corona dream. <laughs> well, no. It? Were they wearing masks? I mean, seriously. <laughs> that's just a lovely new grandmother dream. I'm very I envious. No, it was a bit weird, though. They're talking, as you and I, not in baby talk or anything. Come on, get out of bed. I thought, oh, God, another day of delivering books. I think it was a corona dream, Caro. I was so stressed. So lockdown update, Corrie. How are you going? Um, what about our challenges, Caro? Oh, well, okay. um, yes, all right. How is your challenge going? Well, my my um, beautiful posies, I'm not buying flowers, even though you can order them by phone at my local market. I'm, I've taken a leaf out of Miss Jane's book, a lot of wild freesias, which used to grow in my old garden, but I'm now picking them by the roadside. It is quite funny, isn't it, Miss Jane, sneaking at the secateurs into your pocket as you go? Jane's no, a, Jane's no a, it's not. <laughs> Jane's a thief from way back. Are you kidding? In our council area, people have to cut back anything that's growing over the path. I've had them come and, and demand that I cut back beautiful flowering deponica. Oh, you're so you're doing, doing people a, a favour. It's a community service. And I've got, a, well, this week's posy involves a lot of white camellias, which grow in our driveway. They, they were half dead when we moved in. We have not touched them. We keep meaning to fix up the driveway. We have not touched them, Corrie, for five years. Every year they look miserable. I think I've absolutely killed them. I've never watered them. They are absolutely burgeoning. So, And don't you love walking around at the moment um, smelling the Daphne in everybody's garden? There yeah. you are, Jane. Get your secateurs out with that one. No, my brother will help me move our Daphne and it's just going great guns. What about you? How's your challenge? Well, I, I dipped a bit in the challenge this week, Cara. I was going okay, but I didn't reach my target of 60,000 steps, I'm afraid. I added these up this morning with my calculator on my 51,781 steps, so I'm a bit short of the 60, but still on a mission, still enjoying the walk. Very hard to get it all done in an hour. You find you're walking very quickly, but um, it is a great way to start the day or end the day. So there you go. 
Yeah, no, I must say the walking's been my the one thing that's been keeping me going. And as I said, I had a day on Friday where I felt pretty miserable and most people in the family felt the same way. So, Well, let's get on to that, Caro, about the um, – I've been having unpredictable mood swings too. What's been happening? What happened last Friday that sent you into a bit of a fug? Well, as I said, the mention of Christmas, it was a, it was a grey day. <clears throat> Excuse me, a grey day after some beautiful weather. Um I'd played a particularly bad game of online bridge. Oh, well, there. Well, that would set one off. <laughs> oh, look, everything just seemed to be, there just seemed to be no hope. I just couldn't see. And and I've been someone who has just managed to keep in my own little stratosphere without trying to think too much about the wider implications. Although, Sarah from Oxford University, please, please, just put your head down. Just keep going. <laughs> we need you. Um um, and, and, you know, sort of someone said to me there was every chance of footy season next year probably wouldn't start till May if there was a prospect or, or even June if you couldn't get crowds in Victoria. I mean, I know that's just a, a small thing when people are losing their businesses and their, their loved ones, but the the fact of that normality never coming back, I don't know. I just felt very bleak. But, you know, I went for a long walk, rang one of the few cheerful members of my family that day, my daughter Clementine, who... Gave me a bit of a spring in my step. She well, was in I, a good mood. Can I say, Clemmy Donahue on Instagram inspired Francesca in Ballarat to cook the most wonderful meal the other night. She did the chicken schnitzel that Clem had. Oh, yeah, she's good at those things. Oh, my yep. goodness. They had a feast. Uh, Checker said it was fantastic. She seems to that have. That child of yours needs a cooking show, Caro. She, well, she was feeling a bit low and she didn't feel, want to eat leftovers. So she said, So I decided to make myself a fish burger. She's very good at the takeaway at home. She sourced from one of her local markets the most beautiful piece of rockling. You should have seen it. It looked absolutely beautiful. Mm. Anyway, um, so, yeah, but what about you? Because you're running a business that you now can't sell out of, but you've managed to keep it going. You must be driving well, a long the, way every day. It, look, I, I, speaking of anxieties, you know, there have been high days and low days, and high days you feel quite chilled, relaxed, and you'll get on with it, and low days you just don't want to get out of bed. But I think probably my low day was on Saturday or Sunday having a chat with uh, husband and other family members about do you actually shut your shop, take a dip of 30% or more in, in your takings, prove that to government and to your um, landlord, have rent relief and go on JobKeeper or do you keep your brand going or your shop going? And in our case, keeping books in the hands of people who really need it. It's such a hard decision because in many ways, the easy way, the easy thing to do would be to close your business. And I think so many people around Victoria are having these discussions at the moment. We've decided to keep going. And again, a huge bouquet of thanks to all of the podcast listeners. So many of you are contacting me through our website and everything. Honestly, the power of of the pod, it's incredible, but I'm incredibly grateful. But We've decided to go on, but Carol, it does mean you've got a seven day a week. I've, I've been doing this since March and I know compared to so many other industries and the medical profession in particular, you know, what I'm going through is nothing, but you're just trying so hard every day to keep focused. How can we stay afloat? How can we meet those bills? The interesting thing, Caro, is that a number of my suppliers are in New South Wales and Queensland, and when you call them to have the chat about, look, I can't pay you the $10,000 I owe you this month, could I do a payment plan or something, they're so open to it. If you say we're in Melbourne and things are tough. So I'm loving the communal support there. I don't know when the day of reckoning comes, when everybody says... Time to pay up, you know, but hopefully we'll get there in the end. But look, thanks to everyone who keeps me going, um, our customers. But look, Carol, it has been a difficult time. I was really pleased uh, when now this commu- this uh, inquiry is going, is started into the what's happened in the quarantine hotel situation. I was very pleased last night to hear that it was a family of four who had travelled who came to Melbourne and stayed at the hotel and they seem to be the epicentre of this second outbreak. I'm really pleased to hear it was one incident and not a whole spiral. It did spiral out of control, but that it wasn't a series of different clusters all over the place. It sort of makes sense. And I just think we have to sort of be a bit forgiving there, but for the grace of God go I in a way. Well, they were obviously going completely, you know, bat crazy in lock it down and some dreadful things were happening in the room that the kids were doing and they had to get out so the cleaners could come in and that was no well that sounds like where where it might have happened. I mean, 
locking people up in a hotel for, I know it's easy to say in hindsight, and I keep mentioning the AFL model, but if only we could afford, and I know you can't put everyone in together when they haven't all come in together, but when you put 400 people, as the AFL has, into a soft lockdown, into a transition hub, where they've all come in on the same plane, they've all been tested... They, they've not had one positive case, mm, not one. Yeah. And they live they live in a, you know, not, not an incredibly ritzy resort, but in a resort of types. There's a pool where you can book in a, a swim every day. You can't go and sit by it. And there's ground so you can leave your room and go for a walk in a mask. Caro, what do we have at the end of Point Nepean? It's called quarantine. All the buildings are still there for the same amount of money. If the government had really super quick pressed the button, got all the tradies down there, and turned it into a viable 21st century accommodation, uh, we could have actually put everyone there. They would have all fitted. They could have had beautiful walks, lovely sea air. They could have all been contained. I just think sometimes that we, it was, it was an, it, well, it was not a knee-jerk reaction. We had to act quickly. But most interesting, if you haven't seen it, Caro and Jane and others, uh, potties, if you haven't caught up with Four Corners on Monday night this week, can I urge you all to have a look because it's it looks in it's a fantastic investigation into what went wrong in Victoria and how the virus uh, infection spiraled out of control. The big difference was of course that in New South Wales they decided to put the police in charge of the hotel quarantines program and here in Victoria like Black Saturday, we had a number of different organisations and government bodies and no one person or one authority was in charge, exactly like Black Saturday. And when I covered Black Saturday 11 years ago and we did the fallout of that, it was, you know, who was responsible? Was it Vicpol? Was it the state government? Was it the fire authorities? No one really took command on the day and I think probably that's what's happened here. Anyway, Four Corners, what a brilliant program. Well, the the chief of police was meant to be the one in control. I mean, he was a commander. Uh, I thought the police in New well, South Wales, all they did was um, ferry people to and from airports to the hotels. They, I, tr- they took control. So I'm not were sure. Were they guarding the well, hotels? I don't know I'm whether sure they were guarding. Right. Or, no, I don't know whether they were guarding or not. But they took control of the whole program, and they were absolutely officious. And so they 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 just sort of held up how the two states responded. And I think the point that the reporter was making was that up there. The police were really like, who who's in charge and who's working? Down here, of course, they, you know, they interviewed um, a terrific, dare I say, um, anonymous source who was all sort of his voice, you know, he was covered up and his voice was um, altered so you couldn't tell his identity. But he talked about how he worked as a private contractor or he worked for one of these private contractor security guard firms and the SMS came around saying, do you want this job? No PPE, no proper training, 29 bucks an hour, a kind of a tick and flick. So tick, yep, I can come and then, you know, off you go. Um, and he just said he was given one mask per shift and each shift was 12 hours. And he's working with all of these people who are infected coming in and out of the hotel. I, it's just unbelievable. Anyway, there you go. The hero, of course, um, I think for me anyway this week is Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister, Caro, who decided to postpone the election, which some could say, oh, advantageous to her, but actually not really because her, her, she's, her, she's rocketing in terms of um, popularity yeah, and things could go even, well, she's got an extra four weeks. Is it a, she's delayed yeah. it by four weeks? Yeah. Um, she had a good, she had a nice crack back at Donald Trump, who tried to compare the New Zealand situation and their very, very low numbers to um, America's, which is just hysterical. Um, you know, she's um, going to be grilled in Parliament, I'm sure, because of this mystery outbreak and where this original family in Auckland got it from. Gladys Berejiklian's apologised for the Ruby Princess, which is good that she's done that. She's been pretty impressive. Um, up in Queensland, they seem to have managed to avoid a disaster from the two girls who illegally crossed the border. And Anastasia Palaszczuk is being very diplomatic with the Victorian government, not talking about the grand final until Victoria puts his hand up and Daniel Andrews says we can't hold it. But she's got a task force working behind the scenes to make that happen. Tasmania have closed their borders now till December which is, I think, incredibly sensible. Uh, Mark McGowan, as I said, has been very tough and is making some sort of concession that they could have a full stadium at Optus on October 24, but not on October 17. And Steve Marshall is um, continuing to keep that situation in South Australia incredibly secure as well. Um, but there will be footy finals, I think, in South Australia. You can fly in and fly well, out. If, so. we, if we segue on to footy, I want to ask you, Caro, 
I heard a little rumour that you might be going up north to cover the grand final. Well, if it, uh, we don't know where the grand final is going to be. Now, that's all in... I'm presuming it's north somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it wouldn't matter where it is because if you go up north and quarantine for two weeks, you can really go anywhere, can't you? Mm. Oh, I'd love to go, but I'm not sure how that's going to work. I think it's, it might be difficult. Um, the decision will be made in the next week or two. Oh, so you can't mm. break it here? Well, no, because I, I honestly don't know. I mean, Channel 9 have got to give us permission. I mean, do we do the show from up there? Does the whole footy classified show go up there? Is 3AW going to send people? The Age is um, going to send Jake Nile up there. There's a The last last train to Clarksville basically leaves That's on right. um, September 1. <laughs> so if you're not on that plane on September 1... Um, you could, you're not going to get special permission or special exemption from the Queensland government. But in a wider context, not involving me, the Queensland government is agreeing with the AFL that they, if certainly the Brownlow medal will be up there. And I reckon most of the footy finals will be up there. And I think they should have the grand final there. I, th- I really think it's a moral obligation. But um, So I know last week you kind of had a joke about wouldn't it be lovely with your books, I know. books in the sunshine for six weeks. But in all seriousness... How would you feel about leaving the family? Leaving me. <laughs> well, leaving uh, Jane. Look, it you would know, be. It's a, it, it's a it's a big ask. It's longer than three words, Corrie. I would cope. <laughs> <laughs> Two words, Carol. Take books. <laughs> oh yeah, look. Um, it would be a fantastic opportunity, but I'm just not sure it's quite going to logistically work. But um, it's obviously very tempting, and you know, I'm a footy writer and a footy commentator, and it would be nice to be where footy actually is. I mean, that last plane is going to be have people from all manners of you know football sponsors, corporate partners, broadcasters. Footy callers are probably going to go up. Gillan McLaughlin is going to be on that plane. Everyone is going to be living at the McEwa in Carrara, which is about 1K from Metricon Stadium, and they'll be living there for two weeks. And I'm told they might even, you know, set up a tented village there and you could actually even, could you make a TV show there? But then you'd have to bring the producers and camera people in and they'd also have to be in quarantine. It's going to be a fascinating exercise whether or not I go, but who knows? Caro, something came on a feed of mine uh, I don't know whether it was the Washington Post or New York Times. I don't know what it was, but they mentioned uh, the uh, Australian Football League in terms of how to manage a sporting season in coronavirus times and how really? interesting and how nimble and innovative, I think, was one of the words they used too, the AFL has been. So we're being watched. And I know we all know that Victoria is being watched around the world, how we cope with this second lockdown. Yep, yeah, there's there's been look the few, there have been a few heroes out of it with footy. Obviously, the members for staying loyal this year and keeping clubs afloat, the AFL for securing that five hundred six hundred million dollar loan from ANZ and NAB, um, the players for you know a bit of complaining and a bit of um, mental anguish, but you know keeping the show on the road. And isn't it funny that they're now all trying? So many of them are now trying to stay in Queensland. It's, it's so they didn't so want to go. Is, so what is that? What is that all about? I've heard that they all want to stay once the season finishes. Well, would you want to come back to Victoria? So some of their seasons are going to end mid-September, and some are going to end mid-October, depending how far they travel into the finals. But um, they're only there with an exemption from the Queensland government. So the AFL has gone to Anastasia and said, "Would we be able to get permission for people to?" They've, they've done their quarantine to now stay in the state, even though their work obligations are finished and live here. Club CEOs have said to me, it's going to be a sabbatical. We're going to try and stay. They've, their families, some of them have already got families up there. The Western Bulldog CEO has got his family up there. The Essendon CEO has his family up there. Not sure about others, but other, not them necessarily, but they just want to stay in Queensland. So they're looking at Airbnbs in Noosa, in Palm Cove, So a new in version of the, of the end of season trip. Well, there's no end of the, they can't go anywhere. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. And most, a lot of the so most the reward the, after the big heavy season. Well, the players are just saying they will now they'll move out of their paid for accommodation, and a lot of them have got their families up there anyway, and they'll move their entire families for October, November. I mean, there doesn't seem to oh, be much. Oh, come on, Anastasia, give our boys a break. Oh, I'm I'm I don't know she why will. she'd say no. I mean, they're would. already there. So so that unless she's using it as a bargaining chip with Daniel for the grand final. I don't think so. I don't think I don't think there's much bargaining the most going on there. The most important question here, Carol, is if you are on that last train to Clarksville, what Brownlow medal dress would you be taking with you? Well, that's another big negotiation. How do you shop online for a gown? Oh, 
I promise you, list of priorities, number 100. I don't think, I don't know how the Brownlow's going to work out because, I mean, it's going to be very hard even under Queensland rules to get everyone in one room and particularly players who are playing in finals. You know, whether they have a grand final week or the end of the home and away season, which there's talk of, to get everyone in the room, including finals players who might be infected, you just wouldn't risk it. So it's going to be a very interesting virtual Brownlow medal. Whatever happens, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Hamish McLaughlin, will he host it? I read his um, son had a terrible accident the other day and broke has broken his leg. So does he want to leave home and go up there and host the Brownlow from up there? Look, Bring back Bruce. It's going to be. Well, Bruce... Oh, can't he leave. can't go. He can't. <laughs> he, uh, he's unlikely to leave Adelaide because, yes. you know, he's got a few yes, health issues. Correct, it's, yeah. It's going to be, look, it's it's going to be. Well, maybe they'll tap you on the shoulder, Dale. Oh, oh, wrong network, is it? No, no, Brownlow host is not on my <laughs> list of. Um, the other big story, and this, you know, the other, obviously, you can go to the Northern Territory and the Dreamtime round is going to kick off this weekend. Brendan's got his big birthday on Saturday and, well, we were thinking of celebrating it, but now we'll be watching Richmond v Essendon, our two teams take each other on. Well, which is that, that could be an interesting end to the evening, Caro. It could be. Um, so, well, I wonder whether you'll be doing your little bedtime tiger roar. I hope so. I hope so, even that though it's little, his... That little romantic moment that you have after that. <laughs> even though it's his birthday, I would like the Tigers to win. I don't, I don't find that such a turn-on, but I imagine Brendan finds it rather <laughs> fancy. I don't I don't think he finds it a turn-on at all. Um, but you, you're across the Indigenous flag issue. I am. I'm just appalled. This has come, at such a, has come as such a shock to me. I did not know that the licensing rights to the Aboriginal flag was owned by a commercial entity. Two white people, it must be said, who are the partners in charge of Wham Clothing are the major shareholders in what has now become something that was sold, or the licensing rights, was sold by the artist Harold Thomas, who designed the flag in 1971. It was hung outside the Australian Embassy in 1972. We know what an amazing national symbol it's become. Every year it's in the middle of the centre circle of well, what is normally the MCG and all other grounds that host games in the Dreamtime round. Um, rem- you just remember Cathy Freeman running mm. around Homebush Stadium in 2000 and, and, with and, both flags. And, Caro, truth be told, uh, for me anyway, I would love to th- – those are the colours of Australia. We should have it as our national flag. Well, pay, pay Wham a nice amount of money and take ownership of it. Well, there's, of there's, a, there's a campaign to free the flag and it, it's being launched out of Victoria and – a few, quite a few people have got on board. One, one of the people who's leading the charge is Nova Paris, who's become a big spokesman in this area. The AFL have agreed that to help free the flag, they can't keep paying. And they pay tens of thousands of dollars, I think, every year because then the owners say, we're happy for you to use the flag, but if you're going to sell T-shirts and other licensing products, then you need to pay. So they're not going to pay this year. So the word deadly will be in the middle of the ground instead. But there will be a Torres Islander flag. I mean, it is just a mess. And there is a lot of politics and division behind the scenes in the AFL at the moment over several Indigenous issues, including Indigenous personnel and the Indigenous Advisory Board. There's a lot of things are going to happen in the next few months, I reckon, there. People are going to change. Good, good change or bad change? Well, I think there's going to be a, a restructure, mm. put it that way. But anyway, back to the flag. So this is something that everyone who wants it to be freed wants the government to take over and pay this group. I mean, it embarrassed Lance Franklin a couple of months ago when Nova called him out because his one of his clothing companies, I think, does business with Wham Clothing. So he had to, he's extricated himself from that deal and has apologised. But it's just appalling to think that a, a clothing company owns the rights to the Australian flag. And it's just so sad that they were sold and it happened this way. I mean, in the past, I think he used to write to Harold Thomas, a Central Australian man, and asked for permission, and he always gave it. But now it's different. So it's a very disturbing story. That's a bit of a sad issue. On to a happier note, though. Crush of the week, and you have one. Oh, Thank Corrie, you, Red Energy. There was such a long list this week. I mean, you know. Can so... I just say my crush is Red Energy? Oh. I've never had such fine energy. <laughs> 100% Australian. I owned. know. Well, we, as everyone knows, we joined up as a result of this podcast. Pete got on the phone and mentioned our names, and they said, who were they? <laughs> it's just, yeah, well. But they were in Richmond, not, you know, overseas. And uh, so there we are. Anyway, 
call 131806. So there are people around Victoria close to me who have just, I mean, I, I, in no particular order, my godmother Sal living in Arundel who's had serious lung issues so can't leave her house at all or see anyone. She has managed to secure every Seville Orange, every um, Tangelo, every kumquat in the district and has made more marmalade. She has kept herself busy. My friend Virginia, who's had terrible personal tragedy this year, who's just become a cook. She's just started cooking to cook her way um, for her housemate to help herself and, you know, to get out of what has been a terrible time for her, which has been compounded by isolation. Albert and Marino, two of our favourite baristas who have just become amateur psychologists and just every day greet you with a happy face when you go to Pound Cafe in um, Paran, South Yarra, to buy a coffee. But I'm going to mention, and my mum, who's just been unbelievable in lockdown and has shredded and restacked and collected and thrown out and read. But um, I'm going to mention my son, Ned, who started um, the first wave with a terrible disappointment, was moving his entire life, he and his partner, to London. That didn't happen. It happened the week. They were flying out the week. It all happened. They'd moved out of their house, they'd quit jobs, they'd sold their cars, and they found themselves back in Melbourne. He has not stopped working on a lot of different projects, a lot for no money, um, made some short films. But he found out yesterday, two days ago that... Green Light, the film he made about uh, medicinal cannabis, oh, has been so wonderful. Has been picked up by Stan. So yay! So, so I'm so oh. Im- so happy for him. A lot of hard work has paid off. He's made a wonderful. Oh, I have Godmother pride. He's made a wonderful mini documentary for Country Road as well about um, regeneration, which he managed to make during the two lockdown periods. So anyway, Ned, you're oh, my well crush done. of the week. Well, you look, have to worked keep, to so keep, hard. Can I just add a little crush as well, and keeping it in your family. I would like to say happy birthday to my dear friend, Brendan, who is one of my oldest male friends, and we all met on the same day at RMIT. Everybody's heard the story a million times. We did. He happens to be married to you, and he is having a significant birthday on the weekend. And I just want to wish you um, a happy birthday, Brendan. You do not look your age, which we're not going to say what it is on the podcast, but I know that the last couple of months working with Daniel Andrews and the government has been quite stressful. Who would have thought? But I think also professionally quite challenging and interesting as well. But you're doing a top job and um, I'm sorry that we can't all be there to celebrate in person. But gosh, are we going to make up for it at some time? We are. There's going to be a, a big collective um, milestone. Yeah, there, there really is. Now, um, so that's Crush of the Week for Red Energy. Call 131806. Corrie, you've got a screen. I do, Caro. And, uh, speaking it's BSF, of, by the way. Yes, and speaking of um, birthdays, actually, I... This was a documentary that snuck into my world. I, ta- I taped it on the weekend and I just um, watched it last night. Princess Anne at 70. <laughs> I know, it's a bit... You weren't oh, expecting dear. me to say that, were no. they? You were expecting some sort of seedy British East End cop show or something. No, it, it's on, it, it is on SBS On Demand, Caro, and the reasons I, apart from, you know, I kind of like the royal family, just vicariously following their lives, as everyone knows... But I have to say, putting a, a film critic's hat on at the moment, this is actually a really terrific documentary on the life of Princess Anne. Her 70th birthday was the 15th of August. And she is a participant in this most excellent documentary. It's filmed over the end of last year. And then obviously they had to go into lockdown, but they then visit her as soon as lockdown is over. So they go to her um, to her home and they talk about, she talks quite openly and honestly about having bleak days. She talks about homeschooling the grandchildren who live down the road, all sorts of interesting things there. Um, her husband, Sir Timothy Lawrence, uh, extensive interviews with him. And the highlight, and, and lots of, you know, ladies in waiting and staffers and all of that. But the highlight, Carol, is Zara and Peter Phillips, her two children, who um, talk about their mother's absolute uh, commitment to work. She does, she's, the most hard, she's the hardest working royal in a 12-month period last year, she did 500 events, which if you think about... This is Anne or Zara? This is, this is Anne, sorry. Um, if you think about uh, 365 days in a year, it's not bad. It is For me, it was a really interesting profile of a working woman who's been working for more than 50 years. You know, I grew up with, uh, I grew up with Princess Anne in my kind of psyche. 
There was Jermaine Greer, who was a hero. There was Princess Caroline of Monaco. There was Helen Reddy. There were all of these women. And Princess Anne was there. She was always quite fashionable, those hats. She was a real sort of 70s girl to me. I remember her her first wedding to Mark Phillips. I went to the picture theatre with my mother to watch the extended mix of that, which was fantastic. Maybe yeah, he turned what... out to be a bit of a dud, didn't he? Well, no, he was an Olympian, Caro. Don't be too harsh. Fog. Fog. Um, <laughs> it's pretty but anyway, dull, I it's, think. It, it was a very, it's a, and it was really interesting to just see her connection with all the different charities which she represents and heads up. And I thought it was a fascinating look at modern royal life. No analysis, sadly, on what her role will be when Charles becomes king. If he's got any brains, he'll keep her definitely in the fold there. But yeah, so that was it. Princess Anne at 70, SPS On Demand, highly recommend. Did you like his message to the people of Victoria, Prince I, Charles? Look, yeah, I sort of did. I, I, he really he really plays that um, I had six months in Victoria when I lived at Timbertop thing and I have a special affection for Victorians. I feel like I hear that a lot every time Charles comes to Australia or comes to Melbourne. But look, there was sincerity in it, I suppose. And um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really sort of rock rock my boat or anything. No, any, any good, any, we'll take any positive <laughs> feedback. And um, the the other royal observation this week, which I sort of thought was quite interesting, was the story that um, Meghan and Harry had deliberately excluded her close relationship with Ivanka Trump out of the book Finding Freedom. Um, now, now, whether they have contributed to this book or not is debatable. But well, guess what my the book... The Brits seem to think, yes. Well, guess what my book is next week. Finding Freedom. Mm. Oh, I'm just sorry. Keeping, keeping a royal thing mm. going. So watch out for that, everybody. Um, now, Caro, do you want to do your book or do you want me to do a recipe? Oh, you keep the ball rolling. Okay, I will. So I've bought you and Jane in today some little treats, and this is from a brand new cookbook which comes out next week. It's called A Year of Simple Family Food by Julia Bazutul Nishimura. And many of you will know Julia from her first cookbook that came out about four years ago called Ostro. What have we not cooked in that book would actually be a better question. Is it more simple than Ostro, which I love, but you wouldn't say it's necessarily simple? Well, Caro, well, I don't know how to answer that because I've cooked a lot out of Ostro, but this advanced copy came to me a few weeks ago. And I have to say on the quiet, because I wasn't really supposed to have one, I don't think, um, I have cooked, I reckon, 10 things out of this. And when you consider that most of that is just for uh, Peter, myself, and really who wants to go to a lot of effort, not always, um, they're pretty simple and they're pretty fantastic. But what I've made for you and Jane today is a recipe from this book. It's called Rose and Almond Biscuits. And it is basically an almond biscuit, but rose water is in it, which gives it that slightly Middle Eastern interesting taste and pistachio nuts on the top. I didn't that have rogue any. ingredient, but yeah. they're, beautiful. They are, they're beautiful. Well, thank you. And it's a really easy recipe. We will have it in the show notes. We're not breaking any embargoes here. And we will have a photograph of it on our Instagram account. But it's a really lovely recipe, really light biscuit. Highly recommend this cookbook out next week. And if you'd like to... Um, well, book an advanced copy if you like. We can put one aside at the bookshop. Just give us a call there on nine eight two four two nine nine zero. I think I've ordered one hundred and fifty of them. So name of the book again: plenty. A Year of Simple Family Food. Wonderful. Bit of a the, long title there. Now, um, I've discovered a new author thanks to my mother. New, old, I mean, definitely old because she's dead. She died in nineteen sixty one. Born in eighteen ninety. An English woman who spent almost a decade in Melbourne is sometimes referred to as part Australian, Angela Thurkle. Now, I'm not recommending this as gripping, page-turning thriller or as any great, brilliant... um, um, Literary genius. She is a beautiful writer, though. I had never heard of her when you said to to me the other day you wanted to talk about her. Well, Mum reckons that her mother used to sort of vaguely bag her, but Mum notices she does have quite a few books in her collection, my grandmother Roma. And Mum's given – the first one I've finished is a first edition I've got here, but I've also brought in some new editions that I think are going to be available at my bookshop very soon. Um, Her entire collection – and the most famous one is probably High Rising – the one I'm recommending is Private Enterprise. This is post-war England, immediate Which, post-war England. Can I England. just add before everybody gets excited, impossible to get. I haven't tried the A word, but um, maybe they have it. But Private Enterprise? Yeah, you can't get it locally. You can't get it in the UK. I even tried Book Depository, but you may be able to get it from that 
American company that starts with A. Well, Mum reckons her best ones, and we will be able to get them at your bookshop, are more the ones set during World War II. And I've got here a few, The Headmistress, Pomfrey Towers and Northbridge Rectory. Now, what she did... I feel like we're on a Mary Stewart um, road here, Caro. Angela is such a great writer and it is so funny. I mean, you look at some, some of the things she writes about class, race you know, sexism, they are so dated. And um, she's slightly snobby, but um, she has returned to the invented county of Barsetshire, which was made up, of course, by um, Trollope. And she's, she's, she's borrowed and reinvented Barsetshire in her own, and, and she's in all these mythical villages. So the one I'm reading about is post-war England, and it's really interesting in this time of COVID because you know, life after the war was dreadful in England for a couple of years. The weather was appalling. You know, 1939, the start of the war, was the most famous, beautiful summer England ever had. In Apparently, at the time of, we're now in 1946 or seven, the weather's appalling. It's grey and foggy. Summer is non-existent. You can't get any grog. You can't get any decent food. The help, you know, the hired help is a disaster. Hard to find a house because everything's been requisitioned to people from the army. But it's about this one, this private enterprise is about this one particular family. And the hero of the story is the wife of the family. And there's a lot of Mrs. This and Mrs. That. But the couple's, she is Mrs. Noel Merton. Her name is Lydia and her husband is Noel. He's a lawyer living on the family property that he doesn't quite feel part of the county yet. And it's just about their lives, Corrie. It is so interesting. But just very quickly on Angela and all the other ones are about people who've... There's no real talk of the actual war, but how people in the villages were affected by war. And that's why it is comfort reading of the highest order. So she was married twice. I bet they weren't wearing masks and practising social distancing. (laughs) She's interesting in that um, J.M. Barry is her godfather, the author of Peter Pan, and she turned to him for help when she was just hating living in Melbourne. She was horrible to the local people in Melbourne, horrible to the tradespeople, and didn't really make friends. And after nine years, left her Tasmanian-born husband, said she was going back to be with her elderly parents for a while, never came back, never spoke to her husband, never came to Melbourne again, and borrowed the fare from her godfather, J.M. Barry. Um, she's also a cousin once removed of, our, uh, of Rudyard Kipling, of Stanley Baldwin. Oh, writing was in her blood. The British well, Prime not, Minister. Not I know. Baldwin, but... um, so she married James Campbell McInnes, um, and one of their sons was the novelist Colin McInnes, who you would have heard of. And he wrote some, a lot of books based out of Melbourne, interestingly enough. He ended up in Canada, I think. They named their first child Graham after his former lover. I mean, really interesting. Then they had a, they had a very publicised divorce. He his was former unfaithful. lover was a man. Yes. Okay. Then she married George Lancelot Allnut Thurkle and um, they travelled to Australia together. I think he'd, he'd, been, um, he'd been in the army or something. Anyway, they moved to Melbourne. That didn't work out as we know. So as I said, she begged the fare from her godfather, J.M. Barry. She moved back to a far more comfortable life in London, took two of the kids with her. Uh, Graham stayed. She had another child in Melbourne, Graham stayed on in Melbourne for a while and became a well-known um, writer. But sorry, he didn't become the writer. But at one point, if anybody um, knows the Circle family or connection, do let us know. Well, another son, the the son she had with the Aussie, he became comptroller of the BBC when she took him back there. But she ended up living a comfortable life in England and became a celebrated author. So really, really interesting woman, and. Um, there was one book, she wrote one book under a pseudonym of Leslie Parker and it was called Trooper to Southern Cross, which obviously had Australian, you know, implications. Anyway, really interesting woman, but I would recommend High Rising. That's the one that you will be able to get at your shop and people say is probably the one that she's most famous for. Right. Oh, well, we've put the order in for that one, Caro. What are you What are you grumpy <laughs> again, about? Once again, can I say people can't accuse us of insider trading because I have had no idea even who the author was. But they're beautiful the editions, the ones you found. Yeah, well, none of them are available. So I sent you the picture of the Hachette in Australia. I wonder if they'll actually... There might be a surge and they can reprint them, I doubt it. But those none of those are available in Australia anymore. I don't know why that page popped up, but weren't the covers beautiful? Absolutely no, beautiful. Really T-H-I-R-K-E-L-L. Corrie, what are you grumpy about? Sleep. Oh. It eludes me. Really? Mm. I was going no to good. say I was going to say I was going to say the um the attack on the US postal system, but that seems to be resolving itself 
in um, Congress at the moment, so I won't go there. I just have to say that really since about March or April, I haven't had a good night's sleep, including last night when those weird little twin babies were at the bottom of the bed saying, get up, you've got lots to do. But it's uh, corona dreams are affecting me. Anxiety is affecting me. I would be waking up at the moment three or four times a night. Thank you, everybody, who's about to suggest menopause, but it's not that... Um, Miss Jane's holding her hand up. She's having trouble sleeping. I'm as sure well. a lot of people out there are indeed. Now I have found, I've tried Sleepy Time, that stuff that you put on your tongue. Oof, nope. I've tried lavender on the bed. I've tried half a sleeping tablet every three days. I've given that up because that's just bad for you. Chamomile tea? No. Oh no, doesn't and touch the sides. <laughs> Please not. And people say, you know, put your screen down, put your phone. Down. Well, I need my phone beside my bed because. When I can't sleep and I'm filled with night terrors, to actually listen to my meditation. So, how do you put your phone in the other room and oh, have Corrie, no electronic no, disturbances? Corey, you have to. No, but I can't, Carol, because I lie there in a in an absolute read, mental read. That's what I you. You're not meant to use not electronic easy, devices not to calm easy you down. When somebody in the bed next to you is just really. Why is the light on? Get I a nightlight. I do have a nightlight, but look. I'm having trouble. So if anybody out there, and I'm getting really grumpy about it. So if anybody out there has any really good tips apart from the obvious ones that we have suggested, let me know. And maybe a lot of people are going through this. Maybe this is a coronavirus um, thing. I'm not sure. Anyway, that's it. Now. Well, I'm um, sympathetic. Well, it's time for six quick questions. I would try the electronic device away from the bed just for a week and see what happens. And when you can't sleep, get your nightlight out and read. Mm-hmm. Try Angela Thurkel. I'll lend you a couple of books. <laughs> um, Corrie, Corona language, please explain. Oh, I'm loving it, Cara. So all these words that we didn't think about a year ago, we didn't – like if someone said to you, flatten the curve, I would have said, <laughs> oh, well, it's probably someone's personal trainer saying get off the muffin tops. <laughs> Herd immunity. I would have thought that was a Western District farmer talking about the sheep. The new normal. Oh, I'm so I'm sick, sick of, of the that. new normal. I don't like the new normal. ISO. ISO, ISO, ISO clothing, ISO baking, ISO <laughs> drinks with the girls as I had last night, which was lovely actually on Zoom. But I, let's have ISO drinks. Social distancing, Caro. I didn't know what social distancing was. And then these other terms, Zoom. Well, Let, Let's yeah. Zoom. Let's Zoom tonight. Well, a year ago, if I'd said that to you, would you know? No. House, no. house party. They used to be things that you went to in some dodgy place in Carlton and they were uni students and everybody threw their grog. In the, in the bath. What's a house party? Now you click, it's an app. Off you go, you start talking. So that's, um, I've just, I've found that extremely interesting how in just such a short space of time, these words have made their way into our language. Caro, my question to you, where do you keep your masks? In my underwear drawer, of course. I think that's where everyone should keep their masks. I mean, my husband keeps them on the kitchen bench oh. in a pile and I think it gets a bit, it looks seriously, I don't want masks sitting around the kitchen bench. Some people hang them in their cupboard. Don't you just keep one in a pocket, one in the car, one in your shopping basket? I keep one in the car, but no undies drawer and I wash them religiously and so if I can't find a mask, I open up and there they are. And then you put your undies around your face. Do you iron your masks? No, I do not. <laughs> no, neither do I. Some people I do. I, do. I, do use, I, I did used to iron, I was telling, was it my daughter-in-law? I can't remember which child I was telling the other day. I used to iron all their onesies when they were six months and a year old. I used to iron their onesies. Yeah. Is that a bit silly? Bit of a waste of time. Corrie, what interesting corona advice did you receive this week? From the Telegraph in the UK, Caro, a reasonably reliable source, one could argue. Could mouthwash be the new face mask? A new study published in the Journal of Infectious Diseases suggests that gargling mouthwash for just 30 seconds could reduce the risk of coronavirus spreading. Okay, potties, I'm just saying now that I do not have any medical facts here at my fingertips. I'm merely quoting the telegraph. But it is interesting that um, swilling the liquid around your mouth could reduce the amount of viral load. And apart from anything else, it's really nice to have mouthwash. Minty fresh breath, Caro. That's what I say. Now, can't hurt. Can't hurt. When was the last time you broke curfew? Oh, well, look, when I was a teenager. Oh, not last week or anything? No, no, no. When I was, well, well I, I break it twice a week when I drive home from Footy Classified, no, but I have permission. Yeah, I have permission. 
No, well, I was um, suspended from school for smoking and um, I wasn't allowed to leave the house for a week and I snuck out when mum was down at the shops or at work or something and um, met my two girlfriends who went to school, a different school around the corner, Joe and Deb, and just Had went for a walk. And- <laughs> no, I think we just went for a walk. But, um, yeah, I mean, curfews was something you broke as a teenager. I didn't think that I, I would be living with it now in my early 60s, Corrie. It's very depressing. Now, um, what winter dish will you be sad to shelve for another year now that spring is upon us? Well, the truth is you can always keep cooking it if you want to, but I do definitely run by the seasons with soup, Caro, and pumpkin soup in particular, not the sort of thing you'd have on a hot January day. Yes. And the minestrone I'll miss too. So it's always, you know, a rather a delight, isn't it, to buy that first pumpkin of the season and go home and stick it in the whizzer and make some pumpkin soup. Yeah, pumpkin soup is great. My son makes a great minestrone. I must say I've been really enjoying that. And it just lasts for days Bring and days. Bring on the ag- 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 asparagus season, I say. And Kara, what is your favourite spring flower? Oh, Corrie, so many to choose from. But, um, and I am loving the freesias and... Um, now, now that the Daphne is sort of almost finished, no, I think I'll have to say wisteria because it is there is nothing more, to me, definitive of spring and it doesn't last very long, but I'm praying that the wind stays away. And this year we have some of my – my friend Katie's already got her wisteria. Mine's just starting to see tiny, like, tiny, I tiny, I tiny like little, those little buds. I love those little buds. They're so cute, aren't yeah. they? And, and you can sit under it. The smell is just – heavenly and I inherited some in the house that I'm living in now and it is just so beautiful. Oh well I'll come around for a month in a month's time if I'm allowed in fact to visit you. Wisteria. No, you can't visit me at the moment, but hopefully by the time October seems to be when my wisteria is at its best. And um so um I reckon that we should be almost right by then. (coughs) Carol and at least for a visit. I delivered a, a parcel of books to one of our lovely customers, Sarah, yesterday, and in the front garden of her house was a magnolia tree, the most beautiful, deep scarlet, not with the white and scarlet, just all sc- burgundy. I don't know how to describe the colour. Oh, gosh, I, th- I hope the local possums aren't eyeing that off. They are spectacular at the aren't moment, the magnolias, all around Melbourne. Not that I've been very far around Melbourne, but in my little suburb. And Clem's been sending me photos of where she lives in Fitzroy. Um, absolutely beautiful. And the white ones are just so beautiful as well, as yeah. are the And I did and have another customer last week who, when she was placing her order on the phone, said, I'm really annoyed today because the possum overnight has eaten all my magnolias. Oh! It, well, dog hair. I just said orange peel. Yep. Dog, Dog hair. hair, orange peel. Um, the, um, the, I know you don't like them, and I know you call them Judas trees and turn up your nose, but the forest pansy, the blossom on them are absolutely beautiful as well. They're starting to come out. You're on your own. Okay. <laughs> well, that's all we've got. We are on our own, and we will be for another, well, at least three weeks, but everybody... Don't go your... to Queensland, Kaz. Stay here with us. Keep your chin up. What would we do without you? Well, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to happen, Corrie, but whatever happens... We are going to get through this and better days will return. Thank you to everyone, including Red Energy, for making this podcast possible. Thank you to everyone who is sending in your tips and your nice messages. We're even happy. We love negative feedback as well. We just want feedback. Please give those suggestions to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page or you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Don't Shoot Pod. Email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and don't forget our footy tips and GLT episode, which will drop later this week. GLTs are back. Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger.